Emily, and welcome to Inside Intercom. So, this week, we're thinking about startup leadership through the lens of design, and I'm delighted we get to hear from two of the best thinkers on this topic Kate Aronowitz and Vanessa Cho. Kate and Vanessa are design partners at GV, which is the venture capital arm of Alphabet Inc., which, as a quick aside, is an investor in Intercom. And every day, Kate and Vanessa work with teams in the portfolio and advise them on the best way to build up design management and use design as a way to accelerate growth. You'll get to hear them talk about how it's time for design leaders to think like business leaders. If you just go into the room and you just narrowly think design, 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 I want quality improved. I don't really value the business. I don't understand why we have to move to market so fast. Your contribution will not be felt. What design leaders really need to learn as a company grows. How can you use design to help drive the bottom line? How can you use design to actually help with product strategy mapping? How can you use design, you know, just generally to build a better culture? And that really shows you as a leader rather than just a design leader. And the burning question for all design leaders out there how to get a seat at the decision making table. Let's not have design, you know, at the table just for the sake of having design be at the table. Let's have design at the table because design makes a material difference in the business and driving the business. Our director of brand design, Stuart Scott Curran, hosted Kate and Vanessa for this talk, and it's a fascinating one. So let's just get right into it and join them in the studio. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Vanessa, Kate, welcome to Inside Intercom. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. So to set up our conversation today, I think it would be awesome for our listeners if you could give us like a real brief rundown of your of your career today. Maybe we'll start with you, Kate. Sure. So I graduated with a graphic design degree in the late 90s before there was anything like user experience and really got my my start in graphic design, advertising, branding, that kind of stuff. I was at an agency for a while and then moved to the Bay Area in 2001 where mm-hmm. I really kind of jumped into tech and I was at eBay for about seven years, did interaction, visual design, all of that stuff, got into management And from there, went to LinkedIn, where I was the first head of design there and helped add kind of user research and build out their design discipline. And from there, I went to Facebook, where I spent kind of the bulk of my time out here. So uh, helping them grow and kind of define what design means at at Facebook and scaling it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. A little bit of consulting along the way, was also at a startup called Wealthfront for a while, um, and then have been at GV now for about a year. And then for me, probably a very similar story. I also went to uh, college in the 90s. And at that time, really, you know, interaction design was not a thing. And so I was lucky enough to actually go to a college where you could choose a lot of your major. And so I ended up experimenting with psychology and cognitive science Mm -hmm. classes, computer science, and then, you know, traditional art, which now when I look back, I was like, maybe I was actually building my major. Uh, After graduating, I did a lot of web design shops, mostly in New York, very small stints, and ended up coming to the Bay Area and then getting a call from Walmart, which I had never heard of before, just (laughs) growing up in Europe and then just going on a school in the East Coast. But it was great. It was an incredible place for me to land. I really learned about e-commerce. I learned about scale. 
and just in general about management practices. And then I moved over to GoPro, where I started and headed up the design team there and really learned about software and how hardware and software work together. And then I moved over and ran the Google Apps team. So Google Apps is mostly anything for communication and collaboration. So a lot of the apps that you need today, potentially, to just talk to anybody. It could be Gmail or Calendar or Drive, Docs, Sheets, Slides, both for personal and then also for uh, enterprise. And I was mm-hmm. I didn't have any enterprise experience until then, and that was something I was really interested in. And I was lucky enough that I, also similar to Kate, had done some consulting on the side and had actually worked with the GV portfolio on the side. And so when GV called and asked, you know, do I want to make my part-time job into a full-time job, I said, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, we've lived these very kind of parallel lives and finally run into each other or coming out here and kind of around the birth of these user experience teams and getting it on the ground level and then kind of falling in love with building teams and and scaling them. Um, So it's been it's been fun to now get to do that for all these companies at GV. Yeah, absolutely. And like as you have landed here and started to really work on a deep level with these portfolio companies like I think it'd be interesting to talk about what that actually looks like from your perspective like what does that mean like what types of conversations are you are you having with these companies and what types of advice are you are you giving them so on a very functional basis GV has about 300 companies in our portfolio we obviously don't work with all of them mm-hmm. I think I, I took track uh, recently when I hit my year anniversary I think I'd worked with about 40 companies right and it can be anything from you know we hold office hours every week so people have access to us and can mm-hmm. ask us kind of any kind mm-hmm. of question from mm-hmm. I'm interviewing a designer on Thursday what should I ask them to I I'm having no influence with my product manager. What do I do? Or I want to get design systems up and going and things like that. After working with all of these companies, I've kind of fallen in love with what I what I was doing previously is really helping on the team building side. So really thinking about establishing design management as a discipline and helping these new-ish leaders kind of build and scale their teams to meet the needs of their companies. So a lot around if... GV a couple of years ago was mostly in seed companies where there was one designer maybe, or they're thinking about hiring their first designer. We're now spending a lot of times with companies that all of a sudden have three or four designers. They're like, oh, design is a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs to be a group. It needs to yeah. be a function. Do we have the right person as the executive there? Are we thinking about scaling the team and do we have them working right in the organization? So yeah. spending a lot of time on that. And then probably the second bucket is uh, really just on the product strategy. So I feel like that's, you know, the area where we either cover on product strategy or team and pretty much end up a little bit in the middle, you know, just like to figure out how we can accelerate these companies. But, you know, first and foremost, when we meet with these companies, it's just like, are they working on the right problem? Right. It's just like actually helping them define what is the right problem, you know, who are the right customers to be actually be able to talk to you and what will actually add the most value. And so we spend a lot of time talking to them, maybe CEOs or head of um, head of products or even design leaders being able to articulate that. And then once we've identified, yes, this is the problem that will really help differentiate you, it's like we just roll up our sleeves, you know, and work with them on the most complex problems to see how we can actually help them accelerate. So it's fun. It's the identification, you know, and then, you know, the prioritization, but then it is actually also hands-on design work, which is really satisfying for us. And I think it's probably one of our draws as to why we came to GB, because we really value that 
the idea that it's not just a check that GV actually, you know, gives a startup. They know it's not just a check that will help, you know, make a startup be successful. It's really this yeah. fleet of operating experts that come behind it that really will come in and actually work with you. Absolutely. And I'm interested in, in this idea about scale. And I imagine that you've both seen companies that you've worked with before scale really fast. Vanessa, you probably at Walmart and, you know, Kate, maybe at Facebook, like you've seen and experienced firsthand, like how rapid growth happens in those companies and, and what kind of problems and opportunities that that brings up. I'm interested in hearing about like what lessons you've learned there and, and how you can like help apply those to your, your portfolio companies, maybe either from a team building perspective or from like scaling product. Yeah. I think we have a couple of different tips here, all from practices that I've done that I've actually done pretty poorly. <laughs> you know, they're all like war stories. Yeah. Uh, I think one, I remember when I was scaling a team, I don't, I don't think I even realized I was scaling, you know, and I was just constantly looking at the team being my design project and being like, okay, if I just tweak this one thing or do this one, you know, just like put this person here or work or start another project there then the team will be perfect. You know, it's just like the team will be done then. And, all, you know, and that was a really narrow-minded mindset. I began to realize it's like because, you know, a team and how the team is designed and how it actually helps the organization really does need to be fluid and it needs to actually be responsive to how, where the company actually is. And so my example is, is that I realized, you know, the team was functioning well, but we actually had a leadership change, um, which really disrupted the whole organization. And now we with hindsight, we realized it was really the right move. Mm -hmm. But I remember I was pretty resistant about it. I said everything was working really well. The team was resistant about it as well. And then I tried different, you know, I tried different things. But then I realized, actually, it is time. It's time for us to move on as a company. It's time for us to grow. And uh, I had to have that mind shift change. And quite frankly, I had to lead my team through it. I said, it's been this wonderful ride for us doing it these ways for this long, but we really need to shift. And yeah. it's okay for you to decide this is not the right organization for you, but this is what we need to do for design to actually be successful. And so I think it, what it was important for me to learn is it's like, you know, what got me from A to B mm. is not what is going to get us from B to C. And you need to know that as a, you know, as a team lead. And quite frankly, your team needs to know that too. So that was one of my tips, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing with scale, which Vanessa, it's kind of at the core of her answer as well, is what works for one company will not always work for another. Too often now, it's it's uh, it's lovely that we have these really large teams, and mm. Vanessa and I have been responsible for growing them. You can look at a Facebook, you can look at an Airbnb, you can yeah. look at a Pinterest, you can look at yeah. Google, and too often, I'm seeing really small teams saying, that's what I want. Well, I want a print shop. I want a design ops team. I'm like, you're four people. Yeah. Like embrace what you are now yeah. and grow as w with what the company needs. Make it about what the company actually needs and what you need to do your job better, not an obsession with an organizational model. We're often talking around where should brand be? Where should marketing be? Where yep. should product design be? And the answer is really there are trade-offs to any way of scaling. And it's just being mindful of like one organizational structure isn't going to get you all of your wins. It's just knowing like the trade-offs that you're going to have to provide yeah. and focusing on the business and the culture that you're building first. And I would say it's pretty common. We actually see that pretty common. It's a common pattern. And I think what Kate and I often say is it's like there actually are no shortcuts. Sure, you can read a blog post, you know, from a 
one of these incredible companies, but uh, you should use it as a direction, not as this is what you must do right now. I think the example that I had given earlier was like, sure, you read and figured out that Steph Curry wears Under Armour shoes size 13. That does not mean you should go and buy size 13 shoes. Like that isn't for you. Now, can you figure out if Under Armour shoes are great? But you need to make it appropriate and customize it for who you are, you know, what company you are and what they actually need. And I think that's a pretty important lesson because we're definitely seeing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at Facebook... When we started uh, this new form of, of front-end engineering and design called UI engineering, hadn't been done before. It was born out of a business need. We had right. to get something out faster. And they were like, what can we do to help you get it out faster? It wasn't yeah. because I saw it somewhere else. We ended up with a print shop at Facebook because it was something very specific about the culture that these people embraced. And they thought, this is how we're going to communicate to the company. And it worked. That doesn't work everywhere. And it's interesting because, like, I often get asked by, you know, design leads at other companies, like, similar types of questions around how do I convince executives at my company to value design and to bring design in at the beginning of these kind of, like, more core, like, business problems. And I'm wondering, like, what advice you would give to those design leaders and and how can designers champion for a seat at the decision-making table and and what do they actually do with it? Should they be given the opportunity? Yeah, I think, so I love the idea of design getting a seat at the table, but I believe it should be earned, right? It, it should not right. be, hey, I want to be invited to the room. <laughs> right. I would rather earn my seat at the table. And, and my, what I mean by that is let's not have design at the table just for the sake of having design be at the table. Let's have design at the table because design makes a material difference in the business and driving the business. So it's funny, actually, Paul Adams, who works here at at Intercom, recently gave this wonderful talk, kind of the end of navel gazing. And it starts with kind of talking about how as designers, we're always running around having these existential crises, right? Like, why am I here? What am I good for? But then in the next breath, why isn't anybody inviting me to a meeting? Yeah. So one of the cool things about being at GV now for a year is we see patterns over time. And then my job as a designer now is I can design these workshops to help walk teams through this this kind of existential crisis. So the first workshop that I've designed and we're deploying out is these kind of purpose workshops. Okay. So when designers come in, we regularly get questions like, how do I get more influence? Mm. How do I get to be more of a leader in the company? Mm. How do I get involved early in the process? I said, well, have you been able to communicate how design makes a difference to the business, how design here aligns with your mission? Oh, no, I haven't been able to do that. So we're now like taking companies through this process of like, we put the mission, like literally we write the mission on the Mm. board and we figure out how design aligns with the mission and moves it forward. And gives design a real purpose at a company. And when a design leader can go back to an executive, you know, to their CEO or their founder and say, this is why design matters at the company and these are the results I'm going to deliver for you, people start inviting you to those meetings. Yeah. Um, and it's much more enjoyable and fun to be invited than to be knocking yeah. on the door and asking right. to come in. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> I've seen the product workshop and Kate lead it. It's really transformative. I do think even, uh, you know, as I look past in the you know, in the history, it's like, even if you do get a seat at the table, if you're getting a seat at the table only for, you know, it's like, because you happen to be a design, you would just realize you're like, I have a seat at the table, but I'm kind of at the kiddie table, you know, I'm actually just 
you know, here as a figurehead. I do believe often people come and ask, you know, I'm leading the design team. Why well, don't have a seat at the table? And I was like, mm-hmm. because you're spending a lot of time asking yourself that. You yeah. should really not think about, you know, design with the capital D. It's like, how are you leading for the company? How are you a leader for the company? And how are you using design to help you lead? And they could be really tactical questions like, how can you use design to help drive the bottom line? How can you use design to actually help with product strategy mapping? How can you use design, you know, just generally to build a better culture? And that really shows you as a leader rather than just a design leader. And I think that's probably a really important shift that mm. most of us need to do, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a good way to actually look at the problem. Yeah. Getting this seat at the table was kind of a blessing and curse. Right. We're exactly. all in the room now, but yeah. it actually puts more pressure on us to Absolutely. deliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember being at Wealthfront, and it was the first time I was told, you know, you now have to go to all the board meetings, and you have to speak up in the board meetings. I'm like, oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, what am I supposed <laughs> to right. say now? Yeah. You know, and, and really thinking through the board deck and thinking, okay, how can I bring something through the lens of design? Well, in my case, I ended up, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to bring – the story of the brand and the sequence of how we go to market and how that makes sense to our users, to the perspective of the board. And it made a tremendous difference. But one of the things that Vanessa and I are very passionate about is trying to prepare this current and next generation of design executives to really think like business executives. Right. If you just go into the room and you just narrowly think design, 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 I want quality improved. I don't really value the business. I don't understand why we have to move to market so fast. Yeah. Your contribution will not be felt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's back to your question that I heard earlier. It's just like maybe what got you to the executive table is design, but that is not what's going to keep you there. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really important to become a company leader. Uh, And I think that's actually one of the huge advantages we get working at the GB portfolio is we can try to mimic and to role model what it looks like to be a design executive at a company. Because a lot of them do not have the opportunity to have an executive there. And so we can role model that behavior. We can actually show what the advantages are. And for them to actually say, you know what, this is the type of leader that we actually want in the company. And it'll actually help us accelerate. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. 
The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So we've we've talked about, you know, scaling and product strategy and doing that with teams as well. I'm interested on on like a more practical level, like what that actually looks like, you know, when when you go into one of these companies and how does that actually play out? There's a company we've been working with for just about a year where we've actually it's been interesting. We've actually deployed, I think, of like all of our services. They've gotten mm-hmm. the full suite, the full benefit of it. <laughs> yeah. So this was a company that is very typical. They have a design team about four or five. Mm -hmm. people. And they came to us and they said, we want to sprint. Everybody thinks of sprints first. They said, we want to do a sprint. Right. And we carefully examined what they were, what they were thinking about. And it was going to be a new app that they were going to launch. It had to be somewhat novel in the marketplace and differentiated. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, we should do a sprint with the team. We got the team into the room for a week. We did a fantastic sprint. But what we quickly realized that while sprint can very much focus on a product problem, Sometimes there are organizational and team issues that you need to straighten out as well. So we've kind of evolved Sprint to not just be about the product, but about leaving the team with really good habits to be able to implement kind of the learnings that they've gotten from Mm. uh, the week. So while the team is in the room for the Sprint, we role model what a successful design executive looks like. How do we interact with the head of product? What questions do we ask? How do we lead and facilitate conversations? How do we make decisions faster? So we sprinted with that team. We had some good learnings. We carried on with coaching after that. So we carried on coaching with the head of product. We even had a a debrief with the CEO where Mm -hmm. we told him, hey, your product strategy is actually kind of off. (laughs) So coaching, we did product, we did some strategy sessions. We helped them kind of rebuild the team back into what they needed to be. They've been working on the new app now based on the sprint for about four or five months. Mm -hmm. They've just come back to us. We're going to help them name it with the naming and brand sprint. And we're also helping them with their launch plan. So it kind of ran the gamut. Everything from one-on-one coaching sessions very quickly up to talking to the CEO about product strategy or sprinting in a room for a week. And what we're trying to do is, is do more of those deeper engagements. Right. Because if a team just jumps in with us for a day or two, they don't really fully get to see the benefit of what we can provide. Absolutely. But uh, we've got a, a handful of companies right now that we're kind of giving them everything, which is really fun. And you can really be there and and, and have like a proper ongoing relationship with yeah. them and really, yeah. you know, be, be part of that journey. Yeah. Well, and it's fun to kind of like, you know, Week one, we were kind of role modeling what it was like to be an design executive. And then by, you know, month two or three, you see them stepping up and doing it, you right. know, and now they're running their critiques differently. And we're like, OK, you're moving on to the next phase. And then they're like, hey, Kate, how can we institutionalize research on our team? And then we give them the next guidance. So it's, it's really fun to see these teams evolve over time. And like you were saying, like build strong relationships with yeah. them and yeah. see them grow, which is a lot of fun to see both the business and the teams grow. Well, it's interesting because I think we often say it's just like, well, actually, we really need to teach the teams how to fish. 
is a cycle you just can't fish for them right. uh, because that's where we'll really see the hockey stick growth for the companies themselves. And so we can go and maybe with the Trojan horse of a sprint, you mm-hmm. know, but right. then when you're there, you're really getting to know the teams. You're really getting to know the product themselves. And you're seeing if there are any gaps It's just like in terms of talent or people that you really want to accelerate to make sure that they have the platform that they need to really help the company, you know, deliver on the value itself. So it's been really satisfying. And I'm wondering, like, what are the, the common gaps that you sometimes see in organizations and, and how they think about design? And we talk a lot about the designers and what our expectations for them are. I'm, I'm interested in, in almost like the what's the other side of that and what you would expect from executive leadership at companies and, and how they like approach design. I would think as executives, I would certainly encourage them to push on the design team, you know, like really invite them to the table and really try to immerse them in the business and what's going on and and look to them to see, you know, what they can bring. The other thing is, and Vanessa alluded to this, thinking about design outside of just what we think of design as being every day. So pushing pixels or doing user studies or being the quality police. You know, designers, great designers have a lot of superpowers, right? They're great at facilitating discussions. They can bring people to to decisions faster. Mm -hmm. They can run to the board and visualizing what a room is thinking. They can prototype and get things out faster. So I often encourage executives to think about the superpowers of design, the facilitation, the visualization, the prototyping, the getting decisions faster in order to lean on their design leaders that way. For instance, we were in with a a group yesterday that was coming in and they have this giant product roadmap and all these things that have to get done. Mm -hmm. I'm like looking at the design lead. I'm like, you should be facilitating this conversation. Mm -hmm. This is the power of being a design leader. You know how to read a room, get the best out of people, visualize it and have a good conversation. So just pushing on design teams to kind of step up and lead outside of just what they're thinking about in terms of design. And finally, I'm, I'm interested in what's the downstream impact of the relationships you have with these companies. Like Sam Altman tweeted this week, if you're successful, it's almost always because some people went out of their way to help you and you have a moral obligation to pay it forward. I'm interested in your perspective on that and and what are some ways that designers and design leadership can pay it forward in in the community? Yeah, I love that tweet, actually, too. I think, I mean, Kate and I probably wouldn't have this job if we weren't incredibly passionate about it. I think, you know, we agree that we're in the position we're in because a lot of people took a bet on us. You know, uh, may it be leaders that we had or mm. peers or, quite frankly, for me, in my personal situation, my teams are the ones that actually, you know, helped me significantly. And I had an incredible—I was incredibly lucky to run some really great teams. But So I feel like it's my moral obligation to actually pay it forward. And I don't want to disappoint them. And so I do pretty much if some, you know, somebody from my old teams calls is like, I'll pick up the phone. And that's the main thing I would say to any senior designer. It's just like be available, you know, for different designers during their times of transition. 
pick up the phone when they call, you know, it's like write them an email, give them a really good design credit on their portfolio because it will help mm-hmm. them. And quite frankly, I always say is you better pay it forward as well yeah. uh, because we can't go to a school necessarily and be like, yes, this is exactly how everything should be done. We need to teach each other and we need to support each other because that's how we as an industry will grow. But I think, you know, Kate and I definitely have talked a lot about this. It's not really, after a certain point, it's not quite a scalable model. You should see our calendars. It's completely full. And so I'm like, wait, how can we actually make our impact grow even more? And I remember when I was running design teams, I was like, well, yeah, how can I squeeze this coffee in? Or how can I talk to somebody? And I felt like my calendar in terms of that sense was burning. You know, it's just like was too full and I was burning out. And I was trying to think about like, well, how can I give back in a scalable way? And in general, I was asking myself, like, well, how, well, how are other design leaders, how are other design executives, you know, handling this in terms of making a bigger impact or giving back or, you know, act, quite frankly, handling a lot of these problems? And so it was this wonderful thing coming to GV to actually get to work with Kate. And I think, you know, Kate, you feel the same way. It's just like nobody, no company would have hired both of us together. Right. But now we can talk about like, hey, did it feel pretty lonely or do you much overhead? Exactly. (laughs) It's like, like, did it feel pretty lonely or where did you go or what did you do when you were trying to figure those things out? And so I think we begin to realize it's like, okay, actually, maybe where we can really help pay it forward is to actually offer a really safe community for these design executives, for them to actually share some secrets or for them to actually help each other in terms of best practices and, you know, for them to actually grow, to make sure that they actually have what they need to sustain themselves and to continue building into the community. So in the fall, we're actually going to host a really small get-together with the top 20 design executives that are really still in the weeds, you know, and they've Mm. pulled up their sleeves and they're running some of the largest teams in the industry that have probably 20, you know, 20 years of experience running large teams. And we're just going to offer a very neutral place for them to have a conversation and to share it and for them to build a community because Mm -hmm. we actually need to invest in them because their impact that they will be able to have is significant and it'll really help us grow forward. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm super excited to get this group together. It's kind of my design management geeky dream to like have these 20 people in a room. And I also feel like like we can offer them a great place to connect because it can be kind of lonely when you're Mm -hmm. leading a design team. You look around your company like nobody else is sharing my problem. So they can get together. But I also selfishly, we want to talk to them about what's made you successful and what are you thinking about next? And then we can take it back to the portfolio companies that we're working with too. And then potentially I expect that we probably, the things that are keeping us up at night and the things that we care about, we are probably pretty similar. So coming together and, you know, having some shared goals and pushing on those, I think together probably we'll be able to drive more impact. So yeah, I'm very excited about it as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this first year for both of us has just been heads down. We joked, we said, we'll just say yes to everything for mm-hmm. a year, see what breaks, see what right. bubbles up, right. see where the patterns are. Um, and I feel like we're coming out of this first year really strong and, and having this kind of passion around enabling and, and pushing forward design executives and design leaders. And so uh, you can certainly look for more of that next year from us. Awesome. Kate, okay, Vanessa, Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so thank much you for, for having, having us. us. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.